You're listening to the Gateway Christian Church Beckley Campus Podcast. To find out more about the church, visit our website at gatewaychurch.net. Let's get into this week's message. Before I send the kids to, with Dwayne and Allie, I just wanted to tell a story that I think it would be good for them to hear. In 1853, America hosted the World Fair in New York City. The organizers built an exhibition hall called the Crystal Palace to showcase the latest and greatest inventions. This is where a man named Elisha Otis stole the show by pulling a stunt for the ages. Otis was the inventor of the elevator safety brake, but he had a hard time selling the idea uh, of safety to the skeptics. So here's what he did. I want you to look uh, and imagine this picture. Here's uh, at this moment. Otis stood on a platform high above the Crystal Palace. Uh, He had an axe man positioned uh, above the elevator shaft uh, waiting for his commands. So he yelled loud enough for everyone to hear him, and he says, cut the rope. And the crowd held its collective breath, and the elevator fell, but only a few feet. Otis announced, all is safe, ladies and gentlemen. All is safe. The safety brake worked. And so did his sales pitch. When Elisha Otis yelled, cut the rope, there were only a few buildings in New York City taller than five stories because until then, everybody had to walk stairs to get up there. In 1854, Otis installed an elevator in the building of Broadway Street, and the rest is history. By 1908, there were 538 buildings in New York City qualified as skyscrapers. Fast forward 100 years, and according to Otis Elevator Company, the equivalent of the world's population goes up and back down on its elevator every three days. I think it's safe to say that Elisha Otis turned the world upside down, starting with the moment when he said, cut the rope. Now, guys, that's what we're going to spend the rest of the time talking about in Scripture, but Dwayne, Allie, teens, you guys can go, but I thought you'd find that fascinating, and I know all of you are fact-checking right now. You'll Google uh, Elisha's Otis and see if that's a true story. And I like it that you guys do that. So it is very true. What a stunt though, you know? But can you imagine back in 1854? I mean, seriously, folks, that's only hundred and almost 70 years. You know what I'm saying? We're not talking that huge amount of time, but they didn't have buildings over five stories because you had to take the stairs. Now we just, I mean, we can go to the Raleigh General, <laughs> right? And get on an elevator And sometimes you're taking life in your hands when you're at the Raleigh General in that elevator. But anyways, that system has been used for all of this time. Well, what can we learn from this? Well, one thing we can say is that sometimes playing it safe is risky. Let me say that again. Sometimes by playing it safe is pretty risky. That's right. There are times your greatest risk is playing it safe and taking no risk at all. First, it maintains us in the status quo or two, or it leads us to that psychologist call and enact uh, regret. According to some psychologists, at the end of our lives, most of us regret uh, what we will not been made by what we didn't do, but by the mistakes that we made throughout this life. But rather, we will regret not only the mistakes, but most of us, you know what we regret the most? The opportunities that we didn't take. That's what we all live in. We live in a world that tells us sometimes to always play it safe. There's things that we would have, should have, could have done, but we did not do. And there's no doubt when we take risk, we'll experience some failures. 
And some fails, like cutting the rope, is a way that we can cut the ribbon from our goals and our dreams. And today's the fifth message in our series, Win the Day. Last week, we took a little break. I had an unapologetic, <laughs> uh, patriotic message last Sunday. And uh, I appreciate you all hanging in there with us as we went through that. But I want to remind you what we've talked about so far. Remember flipping the script? That's our story. When by some means for harm, God meant something for good. Facing our, uh, remember, facing the way? Sorry about that. problems and our sufferings at first, and we did it without fear. Um, we also did eating the frog. Do you remember that? And hey, just so you all know, have you seen the Facebook message that's been going around on social media about the guy holding up that huge frog? All right, you know it's fake, right? Okay. So if you all went on to Google that right now, there's this guy in Texas holding up this frog. He said it was 13 pounds. All right. That's just not true. Yeah, it was unbelievable. It looks like half, more than half his body size, but it's an optical illusion. So just everybody calm down. But remember what eating the frog was? It was developing the right habits so that we do the little things over and over and over again. And remember flying the kite? We dream big but start small and making every day count. Well, today we're going to encourage you to cut the rope. And you're going to find this in Mark uh, chapter 4, verse 35. So if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to turn to the book of Mark. Uh, or if you have your Bible app, you can go ahead and pull that up on your phone. In his book, Deep Work, Georgetown professor uh, Cal Newport talks about the concept he calls the grand gesture. The grand gesture can take many different forms. It can be a romantic gesture, like getting down on one knee in public place to repose to your future spouse. It can be a physical gesture, like taking one of those before pictures before you start your workout program, <laughs> and then the one that's like 60 days afterwards. Or it can be a creative gesture that some missionaries, do you realize back in the old days um, when missionaries went to foreign countries, they didn't pack backpacks or suitcases with them? You know what they took with them? And packed their stuff in? A coffin, symbolizing that they were dying to the old way of life in America and that they wouldn't come back. All these grand gestures is a defining decision. It's a calculated risk of selfless sacrifice that becomes the defining moment in your life. And that's what we want to talk about. I mean, we all have those, uh, that there are, there are points in our life that we can pinpoint at the point when we made this calculated risk. And for me, I want to talk a little bit about my decision to give my life to Christ on Valentine's Day of 1990. I had been going to church with my best friend and his family for quite some time. And I learned uh, through the youth group and going to church that Jesus died for my sins and, 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 and that I, if I wanted to go to heaven and have an eternal life with him and a relationship with God, that I needed to submit my life to him, uh, give my life to him and make him the Lord of my life. I confessed him before others. I was baptized uh, for the remission of my sins and received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I knew I needed to do this, but that was still a scary decision in Valentine's Day of 1990. Now, it's 31 years ago. If you're all wondering, I'm getting ready to tell you how old I am. So I was 14 years old at the time. So now you all are doing your math right now. Some of us are taking off your shoes. I can see you right now and counting. 
But as a 14-year-old, that was a big decision. But I knew I needed to make that decision. And so I cut the rope, and I stepped out in faith, and I responded to the gospel, and I became a Christian that day. But little did I know, looking back, what that decision would play out in my life. I've talked to you guys about when I was at Wabash College before I went in the ministry and how I was not living the life that God wanted me to live, and now I had that aha God moment that I should go back and become one of his children again, and that's where I cut the rope and decided to go to Johnson Bible College to study ministry. And, and that was one of those defining moments when you had to cut the rope again. And I remember when it came down to when I met Tanya that summer doing an internship that I only had two weeks to go before I was going back to college, and it was either make it or break it with Tanya. She was either going to, I was going to ask her to marry me or was just going to break it off right there. She cut the rope. Bless her heart. She's been paying for that decision every single day since then. I know you couldn't, Cliff. Don't you have to go to Logan and preach sometime soon? What? What in the world are you doing? Yeah. No, Taylor. That's good stuff. I'm proud of you. You should be proud of yourself on that one. You'll remember this day when you cut that rope, all right? <laughs> no, 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 no. But we all have those moments in our life, don't you, that you, that you, you know, once you make this decision, that's it. And just like Otis, <laughs> Elisha Otis, you know, this was either going to work or it wasn't. And it worked for him. And I, I think there's moments like this throughout history and even our American culture, moments like what happened on October 31st and 15 and 17 when Martin Luther posted the 95 statements on the church door at Wittenberg declaring his grievances about a corrupt Catholic church. Or moments like in Martin, uh, March 20th, 1775, a young de uh, delegate at the Second Virginia Convention was presenting a resolution about the state and he stood up against British tyranny. Henry's words were transcribed. No one ever heard him or forgot the eloquence for the passion he shouted, give me liberty or give me death. Or what happened on December 1st, 1955, when a young black woman named Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat in the front of the bus in Montgomery, Alabama. Those are defining moments. That's when you're cutting the rope. But listen, we all do this in our lifetimes as well. There's hundreds of more examples in our history, a reformation, a revolution, a civil rights movement. No matter how you slice them or dice them, they're all points of no return, grand gestures that changed the course for so many. And you all have these in your life as well. Now, your grand gesture and my grand gestures may never be like in the history books or remembered for centuries later, but they are no more or less important than our daily lives. When it comes to goal-setting, problem-solving, habit-forming, grand gestures are necessary to win today. And the idea of cutting the rope and making a grand gesture doesn't just happen outside the Bible. I'm going to listen to these folks in the Bible that had grand gestures. Noah built an ark in a day of no rain because he believed in God. Abraham placed his only son Isaac on an altar because he believed in God. The Israelites circled Jericho seven times and on day seven because they believed in God. David took a small stone and slew a giant because he believed in God. Esther fasted for three days 
because she believed in God. Elisha burned his plowing equipment because he believed in God. Ezekiel laid on his left side for 390 days because he believed in God. James and John dropped their nets because they believed in God. Peter got out of the boat because he believed in God. Zacchaeus climbed a sycamore tree because he believed in God. And the Ephesians burned their pagan books because they believed in God. All of these are grand gestures, days when decades happen, they cut the rope. These moments change their lives, and it's similar to what we see in Mark 34, 35, when we read this incredible story. Now listen to what it says. It says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. Now you should know that the Sea of Galilee is 13 miles long and eight miles wide. With only oars and no engine, it was going to take a little while to get on to the other side. Notice that it was also evening. It was going to get dark soon. Being on the water at night can be scary, even today. And notice what Mark says, leaving the crowd behind. Now, here's a little side sermon. I think sometimes we need to leave the crowd behind. Sometimes in this age of information overload, we need to be able to put down our phones. Maybe do a phone fast for a little bit. Now, I mean, you can still answer it and receive a text message, but do you realize the average adult spends on the 142 minutes a day looking at their phone? 142 minutes a day. That's 15% of your time that you're awake daily looking at your phone. We live in an age where we are bombarded with fake news, real news. How do you know if the frog is 13 pounds or not? You know, I spent 20 minutes researching how big a frog can get after I saw that picture. You all did that too, and you do the same thing. And I, you know, just like I, that's why I told the story of Mr. Otis, because I know those kids will go fact check me, <laughs> you know? We do it all the time. We need to watch the news, but more importantly, we should be praying about the news. Carl Barth said that we should take the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other hand and read both. But we should interpret the news by reading the Bible, not the other way around. And sadly, that's what most people do. The first thing they do when they wake up, they're checking the news feeds or what's going on instead of looking at their Bible, reading the Bible, having time with God, and then looking at the news. So let's talk about maybe a phone fast in the near future. If you want to turn up the voice of the Holy Spirit, you're going to have to turn down or turn off your phone. Most of us, which noise is coming into our life is not the noise of God's Spirit and the Holy Scriptures. It's more about the problems and the chaos in the world and and the craziness of our lives. But notice back to our Scripture. It says, Mark says, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were other boats with them. Notice what it says. And a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, and so it was nearly swamped. The NIV says a furious squall. The NLT says a fierce storm. The ESV says great windstorms. But the topography of the Sea of Galilee, which is 700 feet below sea level, and it's surrounded by mountains on all sides, leads to these really intense storms. In fact, Jim Cantori would probably lived uh, right by 
the Sea of Galilee, you know. You know when the storm is bad when Jim comes into your town, right? And you knew that the one that we just came up the East Coast that had a name, what was it, Elsa or something, was it her name at this time? You know it wasn't that bad because they sent Reynolds Wolf, all right? If it was a real bad one, they would have sent who? Jim, right? Jim comes in, you get out, right? If they send in the subs, it's just going to be a tropical storm or something like that. You know what I'm saying? This, these storms in Galilee would probably have had their own names, and Jim would have just probably lived by the Sea of Galilee as intense as these storms can be. But I want you to know this. Mark tells us down in verse 38, listen about Jesus. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Now, isn't that incredible? If I ever ran for the president of the United States, if I ever did, I would mandate in our nation that every day people would be allowed to take a 30-minute nap, all right? And, and even I do it like they do at preschool. Even if you don't want to take that, you're laying down. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't have to sleep, but you're going to lay your little rear end down, all right? Because I'm convinced of this. More people would be a lot nicer to each other if you had a 30-minute nap during the day, right? You know, Dave always says every Sunday as he leaves from St. Albans, what's he always say? Go, go get you a nap. So Dave believes in this theory as well. I do as well. In fact, NASA backs us up. NASA discovered that 26-minute nap increases productivity by 34%, all right? Now, here's the thing. Some of you wake up groggy or hangry or grouchy. Well, if you wake up like that, then I'm going to institute as president that you get another 26-minute nap to try it again. You have the green light, all right? And whatever it takes for you to be more productive and nicer to people, take a nap. And if you really want to get spiritual about it, I take naps because Jesus takes naps. There you go, all right? Just like Taylor, he said, you know, last week you told everybody, he goes, did you go and start working out at the gym like you told everybody? And I said, no. He said, well, you told everybody. I said, I didn't tell him when I was going to do it. He said, you said soon. And I said, Jesus said he's coming soon. That's been 2,000 years ago. I've got some time, all right? Just calm down there a little bit, all right? True statement, right? It is true. So that actually happened. He did say that. So if you're struggling, take a nap. It'll be good for you. You're following Jesus. What are they going to say? It's your First Amendment. <laughs> You're practicing your faith. That's all you need to say. It's amazing all the things that people say they do to follow like Jesus. They'll go and serve and they'll go and worship, but you never see anybody stand up and take a nap because Jesus said to. And you're following Jesus, right? So try that. And if you need a reference on your resume, just holler at me, all right? But notice, he's down there taking a nap. What's that tell you something about God? The storms of our life, they're not very significant. Doesn't mean that they don't matter to Jesus, because all of it matters. But by somebody taking a nap in the fiercest of storms, that tells you a lot about your God. And notice what the scripture says. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion, and then it says, Jesus woke up and said to him, they, they, they woke him up, teacher, don't you care if we drown? This is the part of the story that's very revealing in regards to the disciples' trust in their master. Because Jesus is sleeping, it almost seems like he doesn't care. But it's not true. But it's just like this when we get in a stressful situation and automatically think that God doesn't care about us. 
or we want to blame someone else for our problems. Let's be honest, the disciples here panicked. They overreacted, and we do the same thing. It's much easier to act like a Christian than it is to react like one. Let me say that again. It's much easier to act like a Christian than it is to react like one. You can put on a show most of the time. We do a lot on Sunday mornings. How are you doing, brother? Great, sister. Are you blessed today? I am very blessed. How about you? You don't say that on Monday. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You ever watch your church talk on Sundays? Hallelujah, praise the Lord, when you're shouting out the driver on Tuesday that has cut you off. You see what I'm saying? We, we try to put on this church facade, and what what... And we're, and we're doing it to kind of act like one instead of reacting like one when problems and trials come our way. Therefore, when times come and when there are storms come, your faith is revealed or lack of, it is exposed. And so we don't act like anyone. We act just like the people who don't know God. We get frustrated and we fly off the handle or we get anxious and stressed out and we do just like everyone else does. But if you're truly following Christ, you should be prepared that when times of storms comes, because he told us that we're not going to be free from times of storms. He says, blessed are you when troubles come your way. He doesn't say that we're not going to have troubles. He said that we're going to be blessed because we will have him with us in the time of our storm, just as the disciples did there. But it tells a lot about the disciples. They've reverted back to what they know. Do you remember the sermon that we had in the Win Today service when it was talking about military and their training? It's not that people step up to the moment, do they? They revert back to their training. So if you're someone that's not been trained properly in the scriptures and know how it is to walk with Jesus, then you're going to revert back to the only thing that you know when your time of trial and fear comes your way. Sometimes we need to take a step back, take a nap, or if you don't like taking naps and you think I'm encouraging you all to be lazy, take a deep breath and pray and watch and listen for the voice of God. And we'll look what Jesus did. Mark says in verse 39, he got up. So when they called and cried out for their lives because they thought they were going to die, God got up. That should be the first thing that helps you in your in your relationship with God. Your God hears your cries. He will rise up and meet your, the occasion. Did he grab an oar? <laughs> it says he got up and grabbed an oar. No. He says he got up, and he, did he start bailing the water out to help them? Nope. It says he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down and was completely calm. Now do you know why Jesus was taking a nap? <laughs> he had the power and authority even over all weather, over all things, and he said, just quiet, be still. We suffer from something that's called hindsight bias. We know how every story in the Bible ends, so we assume the beginning, and we lose the element of wonder, awe, and surprise. Just try to picture Jesus in this moment. Try to picture the calm of his motions, almost a smile on his lips, a twinkle in his eyes when he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? 
They were terrified, and they asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. You see, they're a lot like us. They're just like us. We get rattled. You can be a Christian and get rattled. But it's what you do in those moments that where you turn to God or you turn from him. They were starting to find out, weren't they, that he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the master of the land and the sea. He made the winds and the waves. They can trust him if they would just be willing to do what? Cut the rope. They got to cut the rope in their relationship with him. In the storms of our day, I'm talking literal and figurative, we need to trust him. In humility and godly wisdom, we need to stand in the gap as peacemakers, grace givers, and tone setters. Listen, as believers in Jesus, we are standing on the platform every single day while the world is watching, just like Otis was. They are looking for reasons to shout at us and tear us down. Instead of fighting back or shouting back, we need to cut the rope. Listen, we need to demonstrate a grand gesture as we demonstrate our complete trust of God and who he's, that he's got all problems. And we need to make a habit of doing this. Our weapons that we fight with against the culture are not earthly weapons. We don't fight fire with fire. We shift the atmosphere by operating in the opposite spirit. We rebuke hate with what? Love. We rebuke pride with humility. We rebuke cursing with blessing. We rebuke likes with truth. We rebuke injustice with righteousness, racism with repentance. Cancel culture, we fight with grace. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but the powers of this dark world. Who are you going to trust in this fight is what it comes down to. You know, in order to cut the rope, there's two things that we need to do to be able to do this. Number one, we need to kneel down. And number two, we need to stand up. And the scripture is very clear on this. Remember the passage that we read last week, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin in their land. Rodney Smith, also known as Gypsy Smith. Anybody know him? Famous preacher. It was in the, grew up, uh, born around in the date of 1860. You may not recognize him. He may, have, may be too dated for you. He had no formal education, but he lectured at Harvard. He grew up in a gypsy tent, and he was invited to the White House by two different presidents. He crisscrossed the Atlantic Ocean 45 times to preach the gospel to millions of people. And he was powerfully moved by God. And one day a group came up and asked him, how can God use us in the way that he has used you? Great question. You know what Gypsy Smith's answer was? He said, go back into your home, go into your bedroom, take a piece of chalk and draw a circle on the floor then kneel in that circle and pray fervently that God would send revival into that circle. See, I think a lot of what we try to do when it comes to winning in the day is that we're going to change the world. 
Well, really what Jesus wants to do is change you. Just like he did for those disciples on that boat. In order to change the world, God's got to first change you and me. And that's where revival starts. It starts in the circle. And whatever else you're holding on to other than Jesus, I'm encouraging you today to cut the rope. Cut the rope from whatever has more of your attention. It could be a a relationship that's not godly. It could be a thought life that's not of him. It could be a habit or an addiction or whatever it is that's keeping you from experiencing the full measure of Christ in you, the hope of glory. But in order for you to cut the rope, it's not God's asking you to do something great gesture or the grand gesture. The grand gesture is for you to kneel and to stand up and to do that each and every day. Repeat the cycle again until you see real life change take place. Will you pray with me? Father God in heaven, I thank you for the story of Jesus. I thank you for the story um, that we got to read in the scriptures this morning. God, I, I couldn't imagine the fear of the disciples, the, the point where they felt like their lives were going to be taken. And they go run and flee into Jesus. It's like, don't you care? We're going to drown. We're going to die here. This is going to be the end of us. And Jesus, I can see him kind of just waking up from his nap, stretching, yawning, and looking at the waves and the wind and say, peace, be still. And Lord, I don't know what it is with each one of us here today that we need to fully trust you in, that we need to commit our lives to you. And maybe it's for the first time just to say, yes, I've heard the gospel. Yes, I know the story, but I have never said yes to Jesus. And so today, as the scripture says, let this be the day of salvation for someone. But maybe someone here today has been fighting a battle and they've been bailing and they've been rowing their boat and they're doing all they can to get out of the storm. And they're looking to you and say, God, why aren't you helping me? Today, let them cut the rope and turn to Jesus who has the ability and the power and the means to say, peace, be still. Or maybe today, Father, you're calling someone like you did to me, like you've done to others before that need to step out in faith, need to take the risky move, and they need to cut the rope. I need to forsake it all and trust you, Father, and say, I don't know where this leads and I don't know what's going to happen, but man, I lay it all down, Jesus, just to follow you. We need more people like James and John. We need more people like Esther. We need more people like Ruth, David, Moses, Abraham. Put it all on the line for your namesake.
hear our prayer today. We pray in Jesus' holy name and all God's people said. We're going to have a time of decision. I almost brought some pairs of scissors here today. Yeah, I'm sure you do have scissors. I'm in some place. I'm like, no, no, I'm just saying in your box or wherever you have it. I'm sure you do. I know. I know you do. <laughs> There's no doubt in my mind that Taylor Shade doesn't have a pair of scissors. Anybody else doubt that? No. But I want you to go home today. <laughs> and wherever you keep your scissors, this is what I want you to do. I want you to write down the thing that you know that God knows that's keeping you from fully trusting him. I want you to write it down on a piece of paper, just you and him. I want you to grab those pair of scissors. And I want you to cut the rope. And don't do it by your power and your name and your, your strength, but trust him by his power and his name. see what God does. We've all got them. Cut the rope. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To find out more, visit us online at gatewaychurch.net. See you next week.